breaking news. Tom Brady, theoretically, has retired from professional football after 22 seasons, seven, count them, seven Super Bowl championships, five Super Bowl MVPs, three league MVPs, all these accolades, and virtually every record that any quarterback would desire to have, he, he possesses those records. It was quite a run. Now, whether he actually retired or not is another matter. You come right in, sit down. We're having both a live uh, Bible study and a live broadcast Bible study. So join us. Um, there's some rumors that he's not actually retiring. Who knows? One way or another, he's going to retire or not retire. Um, people of this generation that are sports fans will not forget Tom Brady. They won't. People of the next generation will probably not forget him. Probably not. But at some point, he will be in a list. A list of records. Maybe he'll hold all those great records for the rest of sports history. Maybe not. Who knows? But he's just going to go on a list. I remember seeing Joe Montana throwing the ball uh, back in the 80s and early 90s. And Jerry Rice, what an incredible wide receiver. But I heard about Earl Campbell and Jim Brown, but I never saw them play. Um, I've heard about Otto Graham and Johnny Unitas, but I've never seen them play. Some people have. Um, but eventually, all of the people that have watched these people play, they will go on to their final destination. <laughs> they won't be on the earth anymore. And then it'll just, it'll just be on a list. The names of people um, come and go, but eventually the memories of these players fade from existence except in the history book. Some people will dig into those history records and most people won't. I'm guessing none of us will reach to the level of fame of Tom Brady. What do you think? Probably not. <laughs> I, was, I was this close. Um, but we instead live in the real world and we experience real situations and regular people's problems. We have our regular routine. Sometimes it can become monotonous. Some elements of this life are so consistent that we can wonder what role do we play in the universe. Elements of nature press on. With or without us. It's not like the, the river cease flowing if I cease breathing. They just keep going. Elements of our experience can seem wearying. It can seem like we don't ever get enough to satisfy our desires. Elements of history keep on moving and someday everyone, everyone, will forget us. What will our lasting impact have been? What will your impact have been? What will last? This is uh, the first main section in the book of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon is approaching the subject and expositing the vanities of life. He wants us to understand that life, everything you try to grab out of it and squeeze out of it, they will never give you lasting satisfaction. And instead of that lasting satisfaction, he will say it will leave you very empty. He describes life under the sun as vanity. And the word, the Hebrew term, hevel, hevel, means transitory. It has the idea of the temporary nature of life. And I think the, the concept that captures it really well is when you light a match and you blow the match out and there's that little bit of smoke, try to grab it. What happens? The smoke just finds its way all around your grasp. You can't grab onto it. It's just 
gone, vanishes away. Um, that, that is kind of a picture that Solomon is trying to paint of what our lives are under the sun. They're just, who can know? Um, with that being said, I want to read through this section from verse 1 down to verse 11. And then we'll start to kind of look at a few different items. We'll put together an outline from two different perspectives. And I, I think, I don't know about you, I, the book of Ecclesiastes, while it has its enigma to it, um, I find it to be overall, for me and for anyone that knows Jesus, amazingly encouraging. At first glance, it's very discouraging. But when you dig into it and understand what Solomon is teaching and what God is teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes, it is so encouraging. It fills my heart with great joy. And it reminds me that that joy that I feel in those moments is the joy that comes from God. And nobody can take that away. And there's a day coming when that joy will be un ending uninterrupted this is what god offers to those who know him all right that being said let's look at the text ecclesiastes 1 1 the words of the preacher the son of david king in jerusalem vanity of vanities says the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, excuse me, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around goes the winds, and it, on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things, all things, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things. Yet to be among those who come after. All right, well, there's a lot. It's a lot there. Um, first, let's take a look at the preacher. The Hebrew word is koheleth. It means collector, assembler, preacher. He's the son of David. He's the king in Jerusalem. He's wealthy. He's wise. He's Solomon. You could quibble and debate about it, um, and that's up to you. Ultimately, we know that God is the author. Um, that's the most important thing, but it's quite obvious that it's Solomon. Then he talks in verse 2 about this uh, concept of vanity. <laughs> vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Did he get his point across? <laughs> he said it numerous times. Now we, we talked about what it means, that concept of hevel. It means to be transitory or temporary. It's used 30 times in 222 verses. That means 1 out of 7.4 verses uses the word havel, means vanity. That's a pretty good emphasis, right? All right. What was not regularly understood about the book of Ecclesiastes is there's another word that is used frequently, and it's the Hebrew term tov. Tov is the word that it means good or better, and it is used 40 times in 222 verses, which means out of every five and a half verses, you come across the Hebrew term tov. Why is that significant? Solomon is not only talking about emptiness 
He's also talking about the good that comes from God and finding that good, not under the sun, not in the sun, S-U-N, but beyond the sun, in a creator, sustainer, sovereign God. He brings good because he is good. In a blizzard or on a beach. On a mountain or in a valley. He's good. He changes not. We change. He changes not. No matter where you are in Scripture, if you're in the book of Obadiah or Zephaniah, where you know it's recount, accounting for the judgment, God is good in every page of Scripture. God is good in every word of Scripture. His character is seen in every thought, every word, and every deed. God is good. So, look a little further now at verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? The word gain there is a mixed bag. <laughs> gain. It's a... Um, some way you maybe accumulate stuff, right? And as you look through the book of Ecclesiastes, he uses the word in several ways. In chapter 2 and verse 21, he's talking about sometimes that you have gained all this stuff, but you might be leaving it to someone who's not going to appreciate it or use it properly. That gain, what good is that gain? And then in chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, sometimes you have this gain, but then you, you lose it, and you have nothing to leave behind. You have nothing to show for it. You gain, 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 and then you lose, lose, lose. And then in chapter 2, in verses 9 through 11, he lets us know that this gain never results in lasting satisfaction. So one commentator, Michael Eaton, says, life, this is great, life pays no dividend. You can hear that in a lecture hall, couldn't you? Life pays no dividend. He also writes, vanity characterizes all human activity, joy and frustration alike, life and youth and death, the destinies of the wise and foolish, diligent and idle. Boy, that's really heavy. <laughs> Toil. That's the noun. Toils is the verb. He is presenting a weariness. Toil produces no lasting gain, gain, excuse me, no stockpile of goods and no lasting joy. Oh. Why? Why did I come this morning? Why did I turn on the YouTube stream? Because Toil is contrasted with gift. Not in the immediate context. He doesn't say it, but it's implied. Toil is contrasted by gift. A gift is something that we receive. And who, in their right mind, is unhappy with a gift? Well, I'm sure that they're you find, you'll find an example or two. But um, if, you, if you are going to go to dinner, would you prefer to use your hard-earned money or a gift card someone gave you? One feels very freeing, and the other says, well, I worked really hard, and I'm going to spend this money. I don't know. I'm, I don't really think that way, so it's kind of hard. I'm trying, I'm trying to relate. Uh, do we want to flush our money down the toilet? Isn't that what we do when we go out to eat? eat it, and then what happens? Well, our body is nourished, and then eventually, you know, the rest of the story. Paul Harvey will tell you about that later. This is under the sun. Under the, beyond the sun is great. Beyond the sun, we see all the benefit that is ours through a God who loves us and has created us and sustains us, and far more importantly, who redeems us. 
So now we want to look at verses uh, 4 through 11. Take a look there again. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and its circuits and its wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. The place where the stream flows, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear with hearing. Oh, again and again. But first, as we look through this, we want to look and listen and logic from a simple secular standpoint. And then we will consider these same arguments, not from under the sun and secular, but from beyond the sun and above. So we'll we'll look at it from two different ways. we're not going to get into lots of nitty-gritty. We will turn to some scripture passages in a little bit uh, after we think through this a little bit. So the first concept that Solomon brings in his argument is that people come and go. People come and go. Look at verse 4 again. A generation goes, and a generation comes. Now, do you remember, was it, was it Tom Brokaw? Am I saying his name right? He wrote the, the book, The Greatest Generation. Well, they're all leaving, right? Well, and now, now we're, we've got the baby boomers still left, right? And then we've got the Generation X and the Millennials and then Generation Z. Did I miss any generations there? One generation comes, another goes. It's the way it goes. It's coming. And Uh, Has anyone uh, that you know, I'm not talking about Jesus now, (laughs) is there anyone that you know that has made it and and like they defied the odds and they're 120 and still going strong? Eventually, time wins. You know, Tom, Brady did that Tom versus time thing. I didn't watch it, but like, yeah, he's, he's fighting with time. Well, it, maybe in, in theory he's winning right now. You never win the race against time. Everyone gets older. The wrinkles come. The hair falls out. The body starts to ache. It's just the way it is. One generation comes. Another generation goes. People come and go. People you love have gone. This is not a lighthearted topic. This is not, you know, no big deal. Yeah, all right. So, so right now there are 78 billion people on the planet? Is that, is that correct? Somewhere around there. Well, that's more than there were. Yeah, but they're not the same people. <laughs> they're new ones. They're great. I'm glad they're made in the image of God, and we love them. But um, we might have lost somebody in the, that is gone, and, and, it, and it matters to us. But Solomon is just recounting this. People come and people go. And guess what? You will be one of those statistics. It's a reality. All right, um, so people come and go, but the second thing he lets us know is the earth remains. Look what it says at the end of verse 4. But the earth remains how long? Forever. Well, you know, Moses came and went. Before him, Abraham came and went. David came and went. Solomon came and went. For us, you know, Solomon wouldn't be saying that because he was writing at the time. Um, but it's just the way it is. But, but the, the earth stayed earth stayed from a secular standpoint well where's it going to go there's this thing about the second law of thermodynamics everything's winding down I don't know it's another story altogether Um, there's no conceivable end to the problem of earthly futility as one one commentator says though generations of people come and go the earth is consistent and it outlasts us all from a secular standpoint well let's move a little further third concept that he brings to the meditation, we would call this a musing. You like the word muse, don't you? Muse. It's to mull it over, and to toss things around, throw stuff up against the wall and see what sticks. He's musing. Uh, verses 5 through 7, nature follows a constant, monotonous course. You see that in verses 5 through 7 of his argument? Nature follows a constant, monotonous course. We read it already, so I'll just make some references now. The sun follows the same course. 
every day. It rises on the east and it sets on the west. Day in and day out. Whether you can see it or you can't because it's behind the clouds, right? It's happening every day. You can hear the movement uh, through these verb forms, the way that he writes it. Uh, there's one particular verb here that I think it, it really captures my attention. It's the word hastens. Look at uh, verse 5 again. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The concept that Solomon is conveying, that word hastens could, uh, could be translated returns panting. He's painting this picture like the sun is just chasing. It's chasing. It's like running, 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 running. And when it gets back to the place where, where it uh, rose on the other side, it's like, oh, whew, that was a lot of work. Like, big, like a big deal, like a, a breathless daily task. But the sun isn't actually running, is it? It's fixed. It's a fixed location. It's not um, out of breath. Sometimes I'm out of breath. You? Gotta go down to the basement, walk down there, move some stuff around, grab some stuff, carry a bunch of stuff up from the basement. By the time you're done, I'm like, oh man, I need some cardiovascular activity because I, <laughs> I ain't what I used to be. Um, we get short of breath, but the sun doesn't. Um, we can grow very weary of our pursuits, and then sometimes there's no gain associated with it. One, one secular song paints the picture like this. Ready? So you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. That person might have been reading Ecclesiastes. <laughs> What's happening right now? Uh, then there are the circuits of the wind in verse 6. It's like, all right, what, the wind blows to the south, and then it takes a, a, a sharp corner around to the north, around and around goes the winds, and it's on its circuits, the wind returns. It's, it's giving this picture. It's just, they're going all over the place. Who can control it? Like, can I control if, if a windstorm comes and knocks the branches off my, my tree? Then maybe the branch falls on my car, or it falls on my roof, or you know, it digs up my beautiful garden. Oh, the wind, the wind, it just keeps going. What do I do? And another snapshot of the effort that nature puts in is found in the streams. No matter how much the stream streams into a pool of water, its job just isn't done because the pool of water is not full. So, stream, stream some more, and stream some more, and stream some more. Oh, do you feel that he's like painting this very dark, terrible picture? It's like, ugh. This is life, is what he's saying. This is life. Let me tell you what an early age. Life, you, you live, you die, and that's it. Oh, help me, somebody. Is this really the way it is? Well, that's, this is only just, he's setting us up. <laughs> he's setting us up in this book to feel that heaviness. Because you know, friends, there are people in this world that don't have a beyond the sun view. And they live this every day. How sad. Shouldn't we feel compassion toward them to not know that there's more. Because a thinker over time starts to understand that man, if this is it, and I've tried sex, drugs, and rock and roll, I've tried to 
work hard and to get, gain accomplishments. I've tried to put money away and I've tried to enjoy things. I tried this wife and that wife and this other wife. I, I, I've gone on exotic vacations. I've tapped it all out. And what do I have to show for it? It's a sad existence. And Solomon is helping you and me to think about what that would feel like if that were our only view. All right, let's go a little further. A fourth area that he brings to our attention about this monotonous, difficult part of life under the sun is our senses are only satiated while being stimulated. Verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, and the ear, or nor the ear, filled with hearing. Now, let's, let's think about this. When you go and you see a beautiful scene, let's suppose you see the sunrise over the water with beautiful scenery. You see it. And like you, no matter whether you're a believer and you know God, or an unbeliever, and you disdain his existence or don't believe he exists. And you look and you say, wow, that's amazing. Everyone does. That's why there are so many photographs of those types of scenes. And everyone is amazed, right? Okay, and then you go away. And you have your breakfast, and then you go and you go to work, and you have your lunch, and you might still remember that scene and it's still making an impact, but if you don't go back and see it again, you can't live off that sight forever. The satisfaction goes away. How about this? You hear this amazing song. Whatever it is, your genre of music that you like, you listen to this song and it, like it, it either uh, drives you or it stirs you or whatever that thing does to you you loved hearing it and it satisfied you for a period of time but then it's over and you're on to something else what what do you do like you you like the song so what are you going to do you're going to probably listen to it again why because hearing it once wasn't enough for you maybe you then listen to it a million times and it doesn't have that effect anymore it's like uh yeah, it's great, but kind of, I need something else. This is life, right? With the, the best of songs. I, I, you know, I, there are some songs that come, come out, I'm listening to them, and I'm like, man, that's really great. And, like, and, it, and, it, and it, it can feed my soul. I really enjoy it. And I listen to it, and I listen to it, and I listen to it, and I listen to it. And like, the, the feeding, the feasting is a little bit less and then it's a little bit less, and eventually it's like, okay, I'm hearing it. And then, you know, maybe if we sing it together as a church, it's a little bit different. Um, there's like a stirring that's different when, when a church is worshiping God together. So you might get a different sense. But, oh, I think we get the same kind of glimpse of this stimulation. Love it, but it loses its luster with, you know, things that we learn, right? You learn all these things, and I love learning it, and then eventually... You know, what What do I really know? I don't know. Raise your hand if this is your experience. The more you learn, the more you realize you don't know very much. I hate it. Like, it absolutely drives me insane. I've been trying to learn for 45 years. I'm like, at some point, can't I have learned enough? And the answer is, eh, nope, not enough. Um, I, I realize all the time that I just don't know nearly as much as maybe I thought I knew. At any rate, this is that I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. No matter what I see, no matter what I hear, no matter what I learn. All right. So then we come to the last portion of this section. Okay, we're looking at this from the secular vantage point right now, the under-the-sun vantage point. So it will get more encouraging very shortly. History teaches us in verses 9 through 11 that we are not significant. <laughs> Happy Sunday. <laughs> Look again at verses 9 through 11. What has been is what will be. 
what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been done already in ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things or people, nor will there be any remembrance of later things or people, yet to be among those who come after. Whoa, there's another real bummer. There's nothing new, nothing lasting, and no remembrance. So when we, we covered this uh, three years ago, we were going through the book of Ecclesiastes as a church, and I used a similar illustration, so it might sound familiar. Nothing new, huh? But what about the iPhone 13 Pro? Or, if you're one of the Android peoples, what about the Galaxy? The, the Samsung Galaxy on February 9th is going to announce a new phone. All you have to do is plug in Samsung, go to their website, and you'll see they've got this big uh, video thing, and it shows this, you know, pictures, and like they're going to unveil something new. Isn't that new? Well, yeah, it's new of a sort, but like, do you remember the Blackberry? I didn't have one. It had a little keyboard on it. It's going to be frustrating typing on one of those things. Uh, how about before that, you've got, uh, you know, a flip phone. What? A flip phone? And before that, I remember my dad, when I was a kid, he had like a car phone. Like it was like this suitcase or briefcase or whatever. It's like this big thing. You get the phone there. And remember the, the, the one that was like this big? Like you had to hold it this far away from your ear? Um, how about the landline? Landline, anyone? Anyone know what a landline is? You guys do. Y'all know what a landline is. The normal telephone in your house looks something like this funny contraption right here. I know. Yep, this doesn't even have a, a, a dial tone. Except I could probably call Aiden right now up there. Um, and remember the rotary one? And then before that, the telegraph? What happened before that? What about before the telegraph? Oh, novel idea. People talk to each other face to face. Isn't The iPhone is not really that new, is it? It's just another way to communicate with someone and spend a lot of money doing it. I like having it. I have, like, I don't know if it's the 11 or the 12. I don't know. Someday it'll be obsolete, um, but right now it's pretty cool. Um, but it's not new. How about this? What about the computer? All right, it's new. But before the computer, there was microfiche. Before that, books. Before that, papyrus. Before that, tablets of stone. <laughs> it take a little while to carve onto those things. And then before that, cave markings. Is there anything new? Not really. Um, how about, you know, when it's time to find a way to transport things, are you going to find a better invention than the wheel? <laughs> Maybe you should try a square and see if that works. <laughs> Nothing new. It's, it's just the same stuff. Um, well, how about no remembrance? This one's going to get a little bit more personal, and so I, I hope I don't like bring up like, bad stuff inside. But like, what were your mother? You know, what color were your mom's eyes? Remember? What about your great grandmother's eyes? Maybe. What about your great 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 grandmother's eyes? Remember her eyes? Not so much. Maybe you heard some stories about them, you know, something about your great-great-great-great-grandmother, or maybe no one talks about her anymore. She was probably a wonderful person. <laughs> probably worked really hard, um, raised a family, all the stuff, right? But who remembers her? Why is it that when you go to a museum and there's a statue or something, there's a plaque. Why? Because if there weren't a plaque, you would have no idea what that statue was about, unless it's like some particularly identifying way, you know what I mean? But for the most part, if you see like a bust of a person, 
you need to know, like, all right, who is this? All right, oh, oh, this is that person. I got it. Who remembers that person except when they go to the museum? The answer is nobody. Um, do you feel sufficiently bummed out? I hope not. That's all under the sun, though. That's all under the sun. They'll live on in your memories. That's what they tell us. If you only live under the sun, that's all you got. Ah, but what about for those of us who know something beyond the sun? What about those that don't just live on planet Earth, but know that there's more? A sovereign ruler who loves and gives, who provides and cares? What about if you know him? All these same things that he just droned on about, that if you just read it from the perspective that, that, that we just looked at it for a few minutes, you, it just seems so unfulfilling. But when you know the one who made it all, it's different. So let's think about it now from the vantage point of knowing who God is and believing who God is. How does a person who knows the glory and majesty of God view the sun, S-U-N, that, that ball in the sky? Let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture. I think this will encourage us. Psalm 19, please. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor their words whose voice is not heard. You hear what uh, David, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is telling us about what we see around us, that when we look at the things that God made, we start to notice that God is glorious, and it's telling us of His glorious character and His nature, that He is a good God, a designed God, and one who, who is intelligent and amazing, that He's beautiful. If someone can make something like this, it's revealing something about who He is, and He's beautiful and he's multifaceted he's amazing and look at how he portrays the sun verse verses four through six their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world in them the the stars he has set a tent for the sun which comes out not panting like a bridegroom leaving his chamber oh what's he ready for he's ready for wedding day He's pretty excited. Wouldn't you be? I was. It's great. This is good. So the sun comes out victorious. Look at my tuxedo. Well, you guys are very unresponsive here. Come on. I need some help. I can't just look at that. They can't give me any response at any rate. Sorry. Verse 4. Verse 5. Which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with... What does it say? Joy, its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. This is, this is pretty cool. He's, he's portraying God's glorious handiwork and the sun that, that screams forth from one end of the, the globe to the other. It, 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 it's going gonna, it's gonna to do it. It's going to do it again. It's going to do it again. It's glorious every day. We can count on it. God did that. God did that. Nobody else did that. No one else could do that. God spoke the world into existence. And we say, God, you're real. You're alive. You're amazing. You're powerful. You're wise. This is what Paul says about God's creative work in Romans chapter 1. Let's take a look there. Romans 1. God has demonstrated the measure of who He is by what He has made. In Romans chapter 1, look at verses 19 and 20. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. 
for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that, he, that have been made so that they, the world, are without excuse. When, you, when we have our, an above the sun, a beyond the sun perspective, and we look at what God has made, we're not saying, oh, ho oh, hum, there it is. Sun rises, the sun sets, day one, day 365. Oh, here we are, all over again. We're already one twelfth of the way through 2022. You know that? Today's the 30th day of January. One twelfth is in the books. You can't get it back. These are days that God has demonstrated that he is real. He's real today. Just as real as when he said, let there be light. And there was light. Oh, hallelujah. What a God. We see it. We see and believe him. Okay, so that's the sun. We see it and we have a different perspective. Um, to whom did Jesus compare the movements of the wind? Remember, so Solomon goes from, you know, talking about the, you know, the sun goes up and the sun goes down. Uh, and then the wind, the wind. It's just coming from the south. It goes up to the north and it goes circle, circle, circle. Wind, wind, who knows? Who can control it? Ugh. Sounds so much of a bummer. But that's not what Jesus says about the wind. Take a look at John chapter 3. When we have an above the sun or beyond the sun perspective, we, we see the, the wind and it makes us think about something else. John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. I love this. He tells Nicodemus that he must be born again. What, what are you talking about, Nicodemus says? Oh, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Shouldn't, shouldn't you know this as a, as a teacher of Israel, the teacher of Israel? Well, let me tell you a little bit about it. Let me tell you how, how a person is born again. They're born again just like you can harness the wind and use it and control it, figure out where it's going. All right, verse 6, John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say, said to you, you must be born again. The, bl the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. When, when, when a person has an above-the-sun perspective, a beyond-the-sun perspective, we start to see, all right, I can't control where the wind goes, and I can't control all the ways that everything goes on in my life. I can't even control whether my children come to know Jesus as their Savior. I can't control any of these things. But I know the one who can. I know the one who does. He, this is the way the Spirit works. You can't control where the Spirit works. You can't control what the Spirit does. But the Spirit is working. And that Spirit brings life. That's the idea. Well, what about water? So he talks about the water. It's, you know, the waters, you know, the streams are going into the ocean. It's never full. The stream is going down and it returns to where it goes. It's just circle, 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 circle. Keep going, going, going. But when Jesus talks about water, that's not how he talks about it. He has a different perspective on water. So, so should you and, and I. Look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Look at verses 13 and 14. Well, we'll start in verse 12. We'll start in verse 11. Sorry, going back. Back up to 11. So John 4, 11, Jesus and the woman of Samaria. It says, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water from the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. 
the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, a, a constant supply, one that can't be quenched, welling up to eternal life. This is, this is real water. This is the water that God provides, that satiates, it satisfies us. It's real, it's lasting. When we look at the springs of water, I don't, know if you've, I don't think I've seen a, a hot spring. Some of you probably have. I know my, my wife has seen a hot spring with her family when they went across country back, way back in the day. They saw some hot springs. I, have, I haven't, but I've seen streams and I see them and they're beautiful. I love looking at streams. Have you been down the Kangamangas Highway in, in New Hampshire? It's beautiful. And you stop along the side and you look at the streams. And it's just amazing. And these things point us not just to the fact that God is an awesome creator who made these beautiful things, but it also leads us to understand about the real water the water that will never dry up. The water that, that's within us. That satisfies us forever. Look at John chapter 7. He says a similar thing. John chapter 7, verse 37 and following. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive in the future. For as yet the Spirit had not been given to them because Jesus was not yet glorified. He's talking to them about receiving from him water that isn't like, oh look, the water's going down there. It's going to have to return. And do it all over again. Stream, stream some more. Oh, look at the water. It's filling into the ocean, but the ocean seems to be at the same level as it's been. doesn't seem to be making any progress. What's happening over here? This is not how we see water. We see God providing, providing, and providing. So the sun and wind and water. Now, how about this one now? Because like that last section of, that we read, verses 9, 10, and 11 of Ecclesiastes 1, that's, that's really much of, you know, pretty much a bummer, isn't it? It's like, all right, nothing's new. Everything that's been done has been done before. There's nothing new. And there's no remembrance. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to live and I'm going to die and you know, maybe have my, my, my name written in some obituary record somewhere. And when someone searches on the Internet for Robert Charles Clark, uh, they'll say, oh, yeah, yep, he lived. Oh, he died. He was surrounded by family that loved him. You know, whatever the things that people say, there it is. There's the record. Great. But that's not, oh my goodness, that is not, that's not the big picture. Beyond the sun, remember, it's way different. So I, this is really exciting. This should really encourage your heart. When we think about the earth as being forever, while mankind is temporary, that, that's so backwards, Solomon. It's so backwards. This earth is temporary. The soul of man is eternal. Every person's soul lives forever. And this world will come to an end. It's spoken of in Psalm 102. It's spoken of in Hebrews chapter 1. We're not going to take time to, to look there. Even... You know, I, I think it's one, one verse we should look at. Take a look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Talking about something, something new. You say there's nothing new under the sun? Oh, there's something new. It's coming. 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verses 9 through 13. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, 
and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So all these things are thus to be dissolved. Or since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? We should be waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Okay, so that's, that's the context. Look at verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for what? New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There's a new thing coming. There's a new thing coming. There's a lot to that new thing coming. A new heaven and a new earth is contrasted with, is anything new? Well, not under the sun, but beyond the sun. But beyond the sun, God has plans to, to make all things right. We know this. But even under the sun, in time and space, is anything new? Is anything new in these days? Absolutely. Every time a person recognizes that they are a sinner, every time a person recognizes that God in his amazing, abundant love sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to bear their sin and to provide for them eternal righteousness and eternal life, Every time a person calls upon the name of the Lord and is saved, something new. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How did that happen? God's not done. God's not done. Oh, you look, oh, it's Monday, it's Tuesday, it's Wednesday. Oh, my word. Oh, it's 2022. Oh, will, will this pandemic ever end? Oh, will you know, the administration ever change? Or whatever this other stuff that makes you bummed out about what's happening in this life. All that stuff doesn't, doesn't rise to the level of significance when it comes to the fact that God is still saving people like us. Broken Needy, lost sinners. He saves us. He makes us new. And one day, our eyes and our ears will be fully satisfied. We'll never long for anything again because all of our joy will be full. This day is coming. Everything, our minds, will be satisfied in Him. We will know Him as we are known by Him. This is true for all those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their only means of eternal salvation. He is our life. And he is the life that is soon to appear. It's coming. He will come. It's going to happen. The legacy of our God is an eternal legacy. Our legacy is not unique from him. Our legacy doesn't add to his. Our legacy is completely tied to him. This is why I love the, to, to, to think about this last, one of the last scenes in Scripture. Take a look, please, with me at Revelation 21. This will be our last Scripture to meditate on. We are part of God's legacy. He has planned and created and sustained the universe. And during the time that he has sustained the universe, he has reached into history to redeem for himself children to dwell with him forever. And look at how the scriptures culminate. Revelation 21, look please with me at verses 3 and 4. 
God's word says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do I need a legacy? Does he have legacy enough? He does. And look what his legacy is. His legacy is taking rebellious, sinful, broken people and saying, I love you. And I'm going to take from you your sin. I will bear it upon myself, Jesus says. I will bear your sin for you. I will suffer the consequences of your sin. I will rise triumphant over sin and death and Satan. And I will give you life and make you, Jesus would say, my brothers. God the Father says, my child. I'll make you my children and I want to live with you forever. It's not like God is saying, well, I'm going to save you and you can go over there in this really great utopia place. Over there. I'll keep my distance. I'll be over here. I'll look at you in my trophy case over there. wants to dwell with us and live with us. That should blow your mind. Do you want to live with you? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but God does. And so we look at Solomon and he says, look, look at the world around us. Ugh. I've had enough. Yeah, when you live under the sun and that's your whole perspective, that's where you're going to get. You'll get to this point where like, I've had enough of this. But when you live beyond the sun, when you look beyond the sun, you see what God is doing, what he has done, and what his plan is. You say, all right, Lord, I'm going to endure the monotony of this life, and I'm going to see that there's so much more to it, because there's a day coming when all things will be made right, and all things will be new, and I'll enjoy you, and I'll be satisfied, and I'll have what I need, and I'll never long for anything again. I'll be fully, fully content. Do you know Jesus? Do you know God this way? As one who provides in such abundant way to give us life. And so when we read discouraging passages, we see something beyond it. Because life is filled with problems. You will, you will find yourself in the midst of those grievous moments. And you'll feel sucked up and dried out. But then you can look beyond what you feel and experience and say, yes, what I'm feeling right now is temporary. The Lord has great things. I will enjoy them forever. And it can start to inject a bit of that needed life back into you that you have as a child of God. Well, at any point... Um, I hope that you're encouraged by this. The whole book of Ecclesiastes kind of does the same thing. He takes the wind out of our sails with the thought of understanding where the wind really comes from to fill our sails. Because when God fills our sails, we are absolutely joyfully empowered when we try to fill our sails. Yeah, we run out at some point. Well, Enjoy the snow, and far more than that, enjoy the one who sent the snow. He sent it for us, for our good, and one day there'll be no more snow. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness, for the opportunity to study your word, to meditate on these things. I pray that each one that has either been here or tuned in, we pray that you would 
encourage each one of us to look to you for this life that you offer. We know it only comes through your Son who is willing to take our sin on him and to provide for us true, eternal life. Help us to be encouraged about the days ahead as we look to the day when we're with you in your presence forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.